Welcome to Unpacking Ideas, the podcast where each episode I bring on a new guest to help me unpack some of the major themes and ideas in a piece of writing. Today we're looking at Depth Psychology and a New Ethic by Eric Neumann. Neumann was a philosopher, a depth psychologist, and a disciple of Carl Jung. This piece was published in 1949. Today helping me unpack this piece was George Cabrales. This was part two of two of our discussion. So if you've not listened to part one, I encourage you to do that as we don't really lay a foundation here. We just kind of jump right into it. And today we got into a few different things. We started talking by talking about the origins and history of consciousness uh, as Eric Neumann sees it. We talked about some of the challenges that society might face trying to implement a new ethic. And finally, we wrapped up by talking about the process of individuation. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, I think you will enjoy this conversation. So here it is, my conversation with George on depth psychology and a new ethic. Welcome back, man. Part two. Thank you, man. Yeah. This book, Depth Psychology and a New Ethic. Uh, Eric Neumann. 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 Yes. <laughs> cool, I, as man. a matter of fact, I just saw, um, was it yesterday? Because, um, you know, I don't go back to work till, uh, what is it, Friday, September 3rd. It's weird. We, I go back on Friday. Um, and um, so I've been watching in the morning. They show these, um, on ch- I forgot, Channel 9, 10, 11. They, they show the Seinfeld episodes. Oh, nice. So yesterday, I saw like five in a row. It was so good. <laughs> Hello, Neumann. Neumann. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he finds Neumann. Um, in, in, in the final episode, they, they find out that um, Kramer's first name is Cosmos. You know, <laughs> his mother's introduced, and then uh, Newman is having sex with the mother. They come into his apartment. It's a whole big story. So it's kind of funny how Newman is having sex with Cosmo's mother. <laughs> nice. I haven't seen that one. I was watching all of them on uh, Hulu, and then they took them off. So it's killing me. I was like right in the middle of season three or four, I think, and and they took them off Hulu. So, but the rumor is they're going to put them on Netflix. So, oh, is that it? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, Good, I, got, I got Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So maybe we could start with chapter three and uh, kind of break that down. And we'll kind of see how Neumann thinks we've progressed uh, into the old ethic. And then, you know, now we're kind of looking at progressing even further into the new ethic. Uh, cool. So I'm just going to pull up my little, my little chart. You know, some of these ideas uh, I, I found... For me, at least the easiest way to conceptualize them was to draw these little graphs, you know. So he says, uh, he says stage one. Oh, and I guess I should say before, you know, he has this idea that the evolution of ethics and the evolution of consciousness are closely intertwined. Yeah. yeah. And I haven't read it, but I think that's kind of the thesis of his, his book, The Origins and History of Consciousness. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, he develops that point much more, and I, I brought you know took it out of my library. Oh, cool. Um, you know, this is the work he kind of wrote this at the same time as he wrote the New Ethics, and there was debate whether whether the Zurich crowd was going to publish this one or that one first. Hmm. 
you know, there's a lot of conjecture, but ultimately the decision was made to um, publish uh, as his first work under the auspices of the Zura crowd, um, you know, with with, with Young's endorsement, um, The New Ethic, and Mm -hmm. then the origins, you know, and this one. Um, I'm not sure why people have said that, 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 again, both works were never, were really never accepted by the Zora crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, to, to your point, um, he develops that here much more. So um, he's writing these two things almost simultaneously, you know, except this one was published first, The New Ethics. So he does, he does make sites. Actually, in that page, um, there is a footnote that cites um, mm. this work, you know. Well, yeah, and I, you know, he only spends a couple pages on it here because it's not, you know, really the main thesis of this work. Yeah. So, but he does get into it a little bit, and, um, you know, he's he talks about these three stages, or at least two stages of, uh, you know, consciousness and and ethics. So he says the first stage is what's called primal unity. Yeah, and this is where he says the ego is dominated by the unconscious. Uh, there's a complete dependence on the tribe and the collective unconscious. And uh, he says, quote, responsibility is located not in the individual, but in the group. So in other words, the entire group is held responsible for, uh, you know, anything that the individual does. And he says this is kind of like in China where a, a, the parents are punished for like a crime that is committed by their children right um so yeah maybe we can start there that's that's kind of what he sees as being the first stage in both morality ethics and consciousness where yeah most it's it's pretty much an unconscious level it's dominated by the collective by the group and uh yeah any anything else in that you want to touch on or flesh out a little bit oh man i don't i'm not sure where to go with this because <laughs> okay. um, there's so many ways to, to go with this um i i, I do want to i guess preface um, um mm. my comments by saying that um you know stuff like this you need to read this over and over again and then you need to read in, in conjunction with other with other stuff for example um you, you need to read um the origin and history of consciousness and then go yeah. back to this you know and, and you know it, what, you know, you start wherever you want to start, but ultimately you're going to see that there's a, there's, there's definitely a, 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 an entanglement with, um, with, with all his works, um, particularly um, um, this work, this one, and, and, and the great mother. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then some people say his other work about regarding the um, uh, creativity in the unconscious. Um, like those four need to be read together you know, and then you see the, the larger tapestry. And then, of course, you need to have some sort of some sort of grip on, on analytical psychology mm-hmm. and, and Jung's map of the psyche, you know, because uh, because he, he makes particular um, um, references to this. Uh, and with regards to the primal unity mm-hmm. or what he uh, what Jung calls and which Jung has borrowed and it's mentioned in here, uh, participate, particip- participation mystique. Mm-hmm. It's a um, anthropological term um, that he borrows from the French guy, Levi, whatever, uh, a brewer, or, you know, um, one of those guys. Um, and um, basically, there is, um, th- there is no differentiation yet 
Now, again, this, this Edinger, I mean, Edinger, Neumann is interesting because sometimes I get confused. Is he, is he talking about the individual? Or is he talking about the, the group? You know, mm, what, yeah. Or the phylogenetic or, or the anthogenetic? Um, you know, what is he talking about? And I think he's talking about both. And, and, and he claims, you know, his proposition is that, um, again, in depth psychology, consciousness emerges from the unconscious. That, that, that's right. key. Right. Um, you know, um, the unconscious is primary. Um, uh, consciousness is secondary. It, it emerges from, you know, that is a particular approach um, from the analytical psychology takes. And it's and differentiate it's 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 a it's a contrast from other depth psychologies, hmm. like like in you know he he attacks Freud here you know and subtly but he kind of criticizes Freud. Freud yeah. is the other way around. Consciousness is primary. Hmm. You know the, the unconscious. He calls it unconsciousness is an epiphenomenon of consciousness, and 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 in, in the Youngs, um, you can argue that consciousness is an epiphenomenon of consciousness. Uh, of the unconscious. Right. right uh, I'm yeah. not sure if, if, if I would agree with that description, but it definitely merges from the unconscious. So at the primary unity, there is no differentiation yet at the egoic level. And mm-hmm. So I think he's really pointing to the individual, but you can argue this with the collective. Um, there is no difference between the individual and the group. Mm-hmm. There is no separation yet. They overlap. They're, 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 I think he used the word undifferentiated quite clearly, I think. Yeah, I think um, on page 60, undifferentiated individual psyche. Um, I mean, it, 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 that's quite clear. It's again, they're not separated. There's a, there's a, there's still a, again, with the, with the, same thing with an infant. An infant, at least the first year of life, some would argue maybe the first six years of life, but definitely the first year of life, there's a symbiotic relationship, you know, right. subject and object, you know. Um, when the infant is hungry, the infant may not consciously, but the infant's in, the mother's almost like an appendage to the infant. You know, mm-hmm. when the hinkret, when the, when the infant is hungry or, you know, or wants to take a shit, it, it, it relies on the mother as the faculty right. to facilitate that, to, to, to realize that. So the infant does not differentiate itself from the mother. As of yet, till it, it, it uh, biologically, it somehow reaches that threshold of autonomy where it can feed itself, you know. And right. again, you, you can argue how that evolves, uh, how the infant gets there. But that th- that illustrates what, what Jungman uh, um, is saying psychically that the mm-hmm. infant. I, I, um, and again, the question is, what's the duration, right, of this time? Is it a year? Is it six years? Is it twenty years? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Neumann calls that the Ouroboric stage here. Okay. He calls that much more specifically, the Ouroboric. When there is, it's again, it's the primary stage, is when ego, which is the vicar of consciousness, is undifferentiated from the objective psyche, you know, from the self. They're together. They're in an embrace. I hope, I, I, it was my, I hope, I hope yeah. that, that makes some sort of sense. No, totally. And, you know, it, it reminds me, uh, you know, I recently read Civilization and Its Discontents by Freud, and he has a similar idea. But again, like all of these thinkers have, you know, there's like little nuances. So you kind of have to read each thinker to to see because it, it kind of maps onto Freud's uh, 
theory about, you know, the stages in development that children go through. You know, you have the anal stage and the oral stage and all these things. But there are some subtle differences. And, you know, a lot of what they, uh, you know, argue about in these books are these kind of subtle differences that, um, you know, can can be a big deal. But I think the point that is similar between maybe him and Freud here is that they're both they're both saying at, at, at this early stage of development, it, it is mostly unconscious and the individual is mostly dependent on, you know, either the parents or or the, the collective um, in, in terms of seeing themselves as being a part. They don't really see themselves as being different. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, uh, like breastfeeding, that's, that's an example of, you know, it's the, the baby maybe doesn't have a conception that mom is this thing outside of me. It's this, you know, she's this other person. It's just like, oh, this is just, um, you know, anytime I cry, this like nipple appears and it's, uh, you know, at least in that the baby's mind, those things are still joined. Uh, at yeah. least, at least at the beginning. Yeah, and, and that particular behavior, um, breastfeeding, is not learned. It's 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 it, it, um, you know Piaget calls that an um, um, he calls that a reflex. Mm. You know, uh, it's 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 highly inst- instinctual. It's not learned. So when something's instinctual, you know, it's, it's almost like when we do something, you know, as an instinct, as a reflex. You know, we don't think, right? Um, that means th- there is no difference. There is there is no differentiation. When you do think, you imply differentiation. There's a, there's a pause there. Uh, there's a pause between subject and something else. Mm. You know? um, and um, um, we could explore what that is. But yeah, I mean, uh, breastfeeding is a good example. The, the the infant doesn't know that is not thinking about um, um, satisfying his or her hunger hunger mm. and they, they're not thinking about how to go about it they just participate in that mystery because to this day i don't i i, I know no um biologists you know um you know, you know no infant um doctor that really can tell you how do the kid how do how do kids know how to you know do all these things and right, the best right. answer they can say is what it's instinctual right, right. we're born with that knowledge um, and I think um, recognizing that the infant is not yet differentiated from the mother mm. is, is a good argument. Um, you know, there's the, 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 some sort of union. It's like when you, um, um, how can I say, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of breathing. Do you think about breathing? No, mm. right? It, it, it is a separate system because we know about it conceptually. But do we, do we participate um, do we exercise, do we engage in some sort of autonomous, independent activity to generate our, our breathing? No, it happens effortlessly, right? Mm. You know, it, it's, um, you know, it's, it's involuntarily, right? Um, so you can argue that the respiratory system and the other systems of our bodies, and I think Norman does that, right, uh, in here. Um, mm-hmm. He says all these systems, they work in what? Unison. Mm. So they can be perceived as one unit as a union, as unitive, as a unitive experience, as a unitive consciousness. Yet biologically, you can differentiate these systems, right? Mm. right? But experientially, they all work together. So um, when it comes to a child, 
you know, breastfeeding with the, with the, um, you know, with the primary caretaker. Um, and, and psychically, when it comes to the individual with the rest of society. Um, mm. But in this case, um, the primary unity is, is, is consciousness with the unconscious. Right. Again, this is depth psychology and the depth psychology of Carl Jung that Norman's using. So there's a, um, this, there is no separation yet, you know, you know, uh, the, the net is still, you know, inextricable. You know I mean, everything's tangled up together. Um, there is no persona yet. Subsequently, there is no shadow yet, yet. Right. You know? Totally. Which, which kind of leads into stage two, which he talks about. So stage two of the development, this is the stage of individual moral responsibility. And, this is, uh, you know, this is rule-based. This is the kind of thou shall, thou shall not. Um, this is where things like suppression and repression start to come into the picture. And um, let's see. The, the other thing, this is kind of where, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I gather this is kind of where consciousness starts to kind of come online, where it is. I am a, you know, I am an individual separate from these other individuals. And now I'm having to, you know, use these kind of rules uh, to, to make sense of the world and to make sense of, uh, to make sense of everything. So, and I gathered too, that this, this stage is also maybe synonymous with the old ethic as yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. So, and and we talked about in the last the last conversation that the old ethic, you know, it it's uh, it works, it, it's dualistic. So it works in good and evil. It works in black and white. It works in thou shall do this, thou shall not do that. Bingo. Bingo. So this is this is that this stage of development where, um, you know, it's interesting because we've been talk kind of talking so far about the the development of uh an individual from like birth through like adulthood but it's interesting because he also maps this onto the development of kind of like mankind throughout time i think at least that's how i gathered as well that kind of you know maybe if we go back to you know hunter gatherer primitive times we had more of a ethic that was uh, you know, similar to this primal unity where it is kind of like a collective and, and, and then we kind of moved into the old ethic with things like, um, you know, the Judah Judeo Christian religions. And we start to get these kind of like rule-based systems. So I don't know. I think that's, that's one of the things I've can trying to kind of wrap my head around here is that these stages of evolution, these stages of development kind of map onto an individual throughout different stages in their life and throughout humanity in different stages of time. I don't, it, it, did you, did you kind of gather it the same way or, or, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, again, Neumann is 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 uh, simultaneously talking about the individual and the group, mm. and 
I don't know about you, but I get lost sometimes, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I have a tendency to go back and forth, but I think, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know what his intent, his intentions are, but I think his intentions uh, 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 definitely is to look at society, mm-hmm. but he, he's going back and forth. And, and he says that, uh, you know, a few times um, that the individual experiences is a recapitulation of the um of the of the collective right um, which is a big big idea it's a big idea big. man to yeah. say that um that the individual body is is a faculty of, of the of the larger body you know right. I mean? he goes he goes back and forth and he says that and, and vice versa and he goes to that point it's illustrated um in some cultures when uh um when, when the parents do something they hold the children responsible and vice versa when the mm. children do something, they hold the parents' responsibility. And, 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 and those are, he uses those cultural examples to sustain his point, you know? Yeah. And, and I get that. And, and I find a little, po- you know, it's kind of poetic the way he does that. Uh, it, it fascinates me. Mm. I mean, this is kind of how I read it and conceptualized the shift. You know, so he's talking about these stages of, uh, you know, our, our evolution and, our, and, and how our, these stages in ethics have have moved. So we talked about primal unity, and then we move into this kind of like rule based system, which is also you know called the old ethic. And then I gathered he doesn't call it this, but I gathered that the new ethic is almost like the third stage in this evolution, because he does say at one point that yeah. we need to go through the old ethic, and he says he says that pretty explicitly that the the old ethic or this second stage is necessary in the development that we can't just jump right into having uh into into the new ethic so so i see it as as kind of evolving out of that and again if we're talking about it in terms of you know an individual's life we can kind of look and see Okay, you know, for the first couple of years of life, the child exists, you know, has this kind of primal unity, and then they move into this uh, more rule-based system for, you know, he again, he doesn't give, he doesn't give like numbers, because again, he's talking about these in terms of the collective. Uh, But, you know, let's just throw a number out until the individual is 35, they're they're maybe existing in this rule-based system. And then they start to integrate the shadow and move more into this holistic ethic, uh, the new ethic. So, and again, to map that onto uh, like humanity at the collective level, we could say, you know, for, (laughs) you know, the first couple million years of our evolution as a species, we existed in the primal unity. And then for the last, couple thousands of years uh we've been existed in, in these rule-based systems and maybe now neumann is saying the old ethic this kind of rule-based system is breaking down and now we as a collective need to move to a new ethic which integrates the good and the bad and gets rid of i don't want to say well yeah kind of gets rid of the rules or at least um in, in you know and we'll talk about some of the problems that he sees uh, adopting the new ethic will, will cause. And you, you mentioned one of them, which is like, it's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult undertaking to move from 
having these rules, having these structures that tell me this is what I'm supposed to do, this is what I'm not supposed to do, to to kind of getting rid of that kind of dog dogmatic way of thinking. You know, one of the things he says is it creates a certain kind of anxiety that the the rules give us some kind of security. They give us some kind of like structure and like comfort. And so that's one problem. There's also the problem at the individual level, which we talked a little bit about last time, is that, um, you know, it is, it's, it's kind of a blow to the ego to accept all of the parts of yourself, to accept all of your personality, the ugly parts, as well as the good parts. So, um, so yeah, so those are some of the challenges I think he sees in, in the evolution. But I guess my larger point was, I guess I saw the new ethic as being more of like a third stage in development that grows out of the second stage. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- th- that's insightful of you. I mean, th- that's because in, in the origins, the origin history of consciousness, he, 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 his proposition, there are four stages or okay. ratio, um, patriarchal and, and integration. I think those are the four stages. Um, and, um, um, and, 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 and the stage, I think, that's full of old rules, uh, which is the old ethic, is the patriarchal. Mm. It's the patriarchal. And, and the new ethic, I think, is, is analogous to what he calls um, the four states um, of, of integration, what Jung calls reunion, okay. uh, what ultimately is known as the process of, of individuation. And now I, I, I say the process of individuation because I do want to emphasize that it doesn't end. I think... Mm. The old ethic, I think to me, because I think you made an inference here, um, and I'm not sure if he addressed that. I don't, I don't remember if he does, um, but I remember being consciously not wanting to infer what I think you inferred. Okay. I don't okay. think the new ethic implies any diminishing at any measure the old ethic. The old ethic doesn't disappear with the new ethic. Um one is just mm. much more a mature. I think one of the characters of new ethic is not, that now one is autonomous. And what he means by that is that one now you now you have to exercise will. You see that you are a good father, but that you can potentially also be the antithesis of that, the anti-values of a good father, whatever they may be. So I, I can also be just for argument, you know, facilitate our argument. I also can be a bad father. So in the old ethic. You 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 repress the other bad father. You, yeah. you you only aspire towards the ideal of being a good father. That's being perfect. I I, I and any time I experience the bad father, I experience a, a, a neurosis, right? Uh, because I denied that. I repressed the bad father. In the new ethic, you recognize you're a good father and a bad father. Mm. But it's through your autonomy, through your free will, that you have to every day practice being a good. Well, you choose. Because maybe for what's what's a good father for me may be perceived by you. Because he talks about this also that what what's what's a sin for my neighbor may, may not be a sin for me. Right. And right, vice versa. Right. He talks about that, and he gets quite biblical. Um, uh, well, that's a good point. Yeah that that the the it, the the previous evolution doesn't disappear. That that it kind of. Uh, it integrates. It integrates. It, it, it becomes, integrates. yeah. Anytime you integrate, let's remember that it does. Integration does not in any way diminish any aspect. 
it just you augment hmm. what, what what wasn't what was there it comes together so you you no longer have black and white uh, if anything you have something come to close to something gray which black and white eyes are embedded still you know they don't disappear but they're they're, they're inside of grayness hmm. you know I hope that I hope uh, that's a poor analogy but I think I, I make my point you know well, so um, the new ethic does not dismiss the old ethic. The possibility of the old ethic emerging is always there. It's mm. always available. It's, 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 it's not gone. You're not over it. You can quickly come back. You also made a good point early on when you said that um, in order for the ethic, new ethic to emerge, the old ethic needs to be part of uh, the proceeding. You know, it, it needs to come first. Right. And that's classical Jungian. In order for union to occur, there must be separation. Mm. In order for psychic union, for psychic integration to occur, it must be preceded by psychic fragmentation. You know, so uh, I think it's wonderful, right? It's wonderful. So um, again, Jung uses that logic. So uh, in order for the new ethic, ethic is the hallmark of the new ethic is integration, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of, of ego and shadow material come together at, a, at an individual and collective level. And let's remember. Um, Neumann is always just like Young places a lot of emphasis on the individual. But he's saying uh, he keeps saying that without the individual doing this, society would never do it. Okay, and I- I'm sure we both can find places where he states that. Oh, yeah, there we go. Here, oh my God, I just turned the page. It's there. Nice. Um, page 93. The individual must work to his own basic moral problem before he's in a position to play a responsible part in the collective. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So uh, I, for that, you, you know, I, I think the implication is that before, before the collective goes through this, the individual needs to go through this. And he says that over and over. It's almost like it, a lethal teeth. He repeats this theme over and over that the individual needs to do it before society does it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also there's also a bit of um, the word that came to mind was it seemed a little bit elitist at times because one of the things he, he, he says kind of throughout this whole piece is that there are certain individuals who have reached a certain stage of development or state stage, stage of consciousness where they are ready for the new ethic. They are ready to kind of move on to this next stage, but he definitely doesn't think that all individuals are there. So, he he kind of is also saying that like this this kind of moving towards a new ethic and this individuation like i don't want to say it's not available to everybody but it's at least in his view it's not it's it's something that only some people are at the stage where they're ready to yeah, take on I- yeah, I, I, I think he, that's you can safely infer that. I don't think yeah. he explicitly states that, but he you, you, he, he does he does point to that, and that's very young man. Um, and, and and you know, I I would personally agree with that. Um, I mean, and, and I know that can be perceived by some as arrogant. Um, but I think the old ethic is it's extremely pervasive in our society. You know, um, and and I'm not saying that's bad or good, but I think that's the way it is. You know, I know my mother lived her life that way. And and, and again, the, goal, the old ethic has its utility, doesn't it not? You know, well, but the problem with the old yeah. ethic is that leads to repression and repression leads to 
projecting and projecting leads to scapegoating. And then, you know, that becomes problematic. So how do you, how do you, how, how do you minimize all that? How do you mitigate that? How ultimately, how can you prevent that? Well, you need to take ownership of what? Of shadow material. Mm. If you take ownership of shadow material, he calls that encounter a moral problem. Young calls that a moral problem. You know, he's, 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 he's pleasure. He's not plagiarizing, but he's directly, you know, b- b- borrowing from the master. Um, um, and, and if you, and, and, and if you engage in that, in that, in that moral imperative, um, then you'd be in a position to own your projections, to minimize, hopefully arrest um, this, this scapegoat psychology at an individual level and then at a collective level. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I think very rare individuals actually live, live life that way. And they do live life that way. It's only partial because even those individuals, I would add to Newman's thing that, you know, this sounds like an elitist thing. Even yeah. that elite crowd um, um, don't do it every moment. I think even that elite crowd, I would claim they, 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 they miss a step. You know, the, the old ethic is so pervasive. It's so embedded in us. Hmm. We'll never get rid of it. I mean, it's, I, I, I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, uh, well, yeah. And the kind of, I guess the straw man of this point would be like, all right, for, for the majority of the population, the majority of these commoners, these plebs, like they need the rules. They need to be told thou shall not kill. They need to have this uh, dualistic way of thinking, this, this old ethic, or else they're just going to murder and rape and, and you know, do all the rest. And I think he makes the point that this is why we have to move through this stage of the old ethic, this stage two, because if we're just trying to, if, if, if an individual is not at the stage where they've kind of moved through that, you know, they might be, you know, they could maybe argue, oh, well, you know, I'm just integrating my shadow. I just, you know, I just murdered that person, but oh, that's just me integrating my shadow. So there, there is that kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the, you need to learn the rules before you can break the rules or you need to, you need to have this, this is, this an important stage of development that we kind of have to go through before we can get to the new ethic. Um, and yeah. there's, there was something actually, it was, it was in a, it was in the append, uh, is that the very end of the book? And it might've even been in a footnote. Um, okay. He says, this is page 142. Uh, he says, uh, man learns more, more than simply to live on tolerable terms with himself. He must actually learn to live with his sin. Though this, of course, must not be understood as meaning to live in his sin. Which, that, I wanted to ask you about that passage. So, because he makes a distinction there. That, you know, with the new ethic, we have to learn to live with our sin. As opposed to living, and this is, this is not to say to live in our sin. So, do you think he's, what do you think he means here? In the distinction between with 
with the sin and living in the sin. Um, I, I do want to say that, remember, this is an English translation. Uh, Neumann yeah. is, is writing in German. Um, and, um, and, um, in, and then this is translated. So we got to be careful with them. Um, you know, things like adjectives and, and, and yeah. um, you know, and, and prepositions. But I think you, you, you will go in the right direction to learn, to learn to live with his sin must not be misunderstood as meaning to live in his sin. You know, I, I think when you live with something, you recognize your, 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 your economy, your equality with the other dynamic. Um, to live in something, um, means um, you need to somehow submit yourself to that context. Mm. You know, I live with my sister. I, I don't live in my sister. In other words, my sister is somehow my superior. You know, yeah. um, I, I, maybe that's not a good example. Um, but um, um, so to live with one's sin, you know, to live with, with one's twin, um, uh, to live with one's shadow, Instead of in, you know, you're not being possessed. I think that's what he's trying. He's trying to make that contrast. He's trying to make the reader recognize that subtlety. That if if you are conscious of it, you are able to coexist with it. Coexist. Whereas if you repress it and it remains unconscious, then you remain in it and it it possesses you and uh, controls you. Maybe. If, If it remains invisible, you have no relationship with it. But once it becomes visible, you're with it. Um, then you have a relationship with it, and then there's the possibility of, of 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 the subject, you and I, each of us, to make to make a choice. You know, when you're with something, you're able to make a choice. Um, if an idea overwhelms you, if you're in the emotion, if you're in the idea, the idea, the emotion overwhelms you. But if you can t- discern yourself from the emotion, from the idea. Then you, you could exercise some some degree of autonomy and say, okay, I'm going to choose to 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 ride this wave or not ride this wave. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I hope that makes some sort of sense. So yeah, I think when you live with something, you're able to exercise discernment. When, when you live in something, then you're overwhelmed by that, and then there is no discernment. You know, again, you go back to that infantile stage. You go back to that primary unity. There is no discernment. Um, that's the good thing about the old ethic. Well, no, actually, the old ethic, there is no discernment either. There's only discernment when, when you're able to see all the dynamics that are operating and, and, mm-hmm. and um, that happens through integration. I mean, th- that is an outcome of integration, is that you recognize stuff, not only stuff that you're conscious of, but you begin to be recognized, stuff that, that were previously invisible to you. In this case, in particular, the shadow, the individual shadow, and the collective shadow. Mm. So, um, well, cool. Well, maybe, maybe this is a, a good time to to move on to some of the other kind of things that he hits on. So, so one of the things he he gets to, he talks about some of these reactions, some of these reactions that people can have to the problem of dealing with the shadow and this kind of inability to, to integrate the shadow or to deal with the shadow. And you know, he says there's a few different reactions, one of which is he calls the nihilistic reaction. And the other one is the pleromatic reaction. 
Are you cool to cool to go here? Go to the you section. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, I know it's a little uh, little bit of a a little bit of I a left turn. You got your flashlight. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought this was super interesting, so I definitely wanted to to hit on it. All right. So he says these are the two kind of reactions that maybe somebody who's not able to to integrate the shadow or deal with kind of the totality of their own existence. He says we have the, the nihilistic reaction. He calls this uh, this is negative. Uh, it denies the existence of the positive. Um, uh, prone towards nihilism. Uh, it's deflationary, and this is what I thought was interesting. He says it's uh, materialistic. Yeah. Um, in, in the sense that uh, you know only material, like the material world, is the only thing that is real in this in this. Uh, this view of this individual is having this reaction in that they they accept all matter and deny uh, everything that is maybe spiritual or you know that cannot be reduced to matter and sees something like uh, the spirit or spiritual experiences as being like epiphenomenon. So these um, you know an offshoot. They're not actually real. This is just. Uh, you know, oh, that person's just hallucinating. That was just caused by, um, you know, we can reduce it down to, uh, you know, some neurons firing, but that's all it was. Um, and the other response is kind of the polar opposite of that. This is the pleromatic reaction. So this uh, sees everything as positive and des- denies the existence of the negative. Um, and this is inflationary and idealistic in the sense that it accepts the um, it, it denies the material. It denies matter. It denies um, in a sense, he doesn't say this, but I was kind of thinking like platonic and I kind of thought of like Plato's cave where it's like these, you know, what you're seeing is not actually there. This is, you know, it, it sees matter, it sees the world as being an illusion, as being shadows of, you know, the real things are are uh, the ideas or the spirit world or this kind of intangible. Um, and so these are the two kind of reactions he sees as maybe being like polar opposites. And these, what I thought was interesting too, is he's saying, these can exist in the same person in that like, you know, somebody who is maybe like a hardcore uh, idealist and is just, you know, thinks, you know, the positive is the only thing that is real. You know, maybe the world of forms is the only thing that is real. The material world is just an illusion. He's saying like this, this person can very quickly, you know, in a snap of the fingers, flip to the other polarity and, you know, become a nihilist and, oh, nothing's real. Everything's, everything sucks. Uh, you know, everything's just material. Everything's determined. Um, so I don't know. I, there's a lot to unpack there, but, uh, I thought that was interesting that he's seeing these two, um, almost like, modes of philosophy right we have kind of like materialism materialism and idealism he's seeing 
both of those as being kind of an inability to cope with the duality, right? Because they're both they're both uh, monistic in his view, right? Because the 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 nihilistic reaction just sees the material as being real, and everything right. else is just happy phenomena. The pleromatic just sees the uh, you know the ephemeral as being real and right. denies the material. Right. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was a cool idea. What what were your impressions of it? Well, first of all, I want to say you did a great job. <laughs> you did a wonderful <laughs> summary. I, I, I man, I tried. It was you know I read it several times and yeah, wrote yeah. yeah. I, I remember the first time going through this, I, I remember feeling like. And again, Bob, this probably speaks to my ignorance, but I, I feel like, man, he, now I know why this book is concise. He doesn't develop a lot of points. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know, this is certainly one area I'm thinking, why? I think he should have developed it. But I guess the point is that um, it's funny how, you know, we're like our worst enemy, our own worst enemy, you know. Um, um, a lot of reaction towards the dualistic, um, t- towards the old ethic, ironically, perpetuates the old ethic. You know, because mm. the, the, the central hallmark of your old ethic is this the disassociation, this, this differentiation between consciousness and the unconscious. You know, particularly ego from shadow material. Right. So, um, you know, here one, the nihilistic, as you stated, uh, begins to um, um, destroy the, the collective values and accept the anti-values, mm. you know. Uh, and, it, and that can be quite materialistic, you know, in terms of its, its, its expression. And then the, the, the pleuromatic um, uh, reaction is, um, is um, and he does say something, I think something that you missed, that um, the, 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 the spiritual realm is embodied through a leader. Mm-hmm. You can have a charismatic leader that embodies this pleuromatic, you know, this wholeness, you know. Yeah. Uh, and um, yet they both, are dualistic. I mean, they, they call themselves monistic, um, but that's because they deny the other aspect. So right. um, they arrest the possibility of, of 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 experiencing the new ethic. And then he, you know, he gives examples, right? Um, he, he gives some examples, particularly when it comes to um, pleuromatic reactions. Um, I have to tell you, um, that's not enough for me. You know, I, I I need this to be further developed. I yeah, get yeah. it. Um, um, maybe he's he's getting too intellectual here for me. You know, mm. it's not enough. I need something much more palatable. Um, it, it's 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 too conceptual for me. Um, yeah. But I get it. Um, I, I think the point is that um, that I, uh, it's difficult to cultivate a life that promotes psychic um, wholeness, mm. um, psychic integration. It's not that easy. Um, it, it requires so much investment from the individual, you know. Um, well, in the way I, the way I think about it too is like we, I, I think we just have a tendency to be dichotomous thinkers and to put things into these boxes and to say, well, you know, it's too hard to wrap my head around maybe the totality. It's too hard to wrap my head about like, the material is real and the spiritual realm is real. So we just accept one and then deny the other. And I think that's kind of 
maybe the larger point that he's getting at is, you know, this, this comes from our inability to, to see the dualistic nature in that, like, yeah, the materialists are just, just claiming the, the physical to be real, denying the spirit world. The, the idealists are just accepting the spirit to be real and denying the physical world. So that's maybe, at least for me, that's kind of the larger point that I see. And, you know, we see this in all different kinds of things. We see like the Madonna horror complex where it's like, you know, maybe a, a, a man is not able to accept or see the totality of woman. So he, he lumps uh, women into two different categories. Oh, she's either a whore or she is a Madonna. And, you know, so I guess that's maybe... For me, at least, that was the larger idea that I kind of drew from that was I had never thought about, um, you know, materialists or idealists as being monistic, as kind of denying another side of it. But it is really an interesting thing to think about um, how, yeah, in a sense, in a sense, they both are kind of denying the opposite side. I feel like I need to do more homework on monism, you know, um, you know, I, 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 I don't feel like I have a grip on, 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 on the tradition of monism and the idea of monism. Um, and it seems to me that he particularly, um, he seems to be implying that monism, um, there's a built-in irony with monism that they're not as, um, they don't, they presume that they that monism seems to presume that they um that they, they strive for wholeness hmm. yet they they're not striving for wholeness because they they repress the opposite because uh, again these both reactions repress according to newman request um repress um the opposite um so if they do repress the, the opposite why why is he label of you know why is he given the name monism um and so maybe it's indicative that i don't have a firm grip of what is monism so well, I, I i need to re- I, I need to do some digging in terms of that tradition um um so i, I hope that made some sort of sense well, um, and you brought up the point that you know though the person is consciously materialist and they're, you know, they're denying the kind of maybe spiritual realm, the idealistic realm that again, doesn't go away. It just, it becomes unconscious. And this is a a big point. He brings up a few times is that any kind of like a strong dogmatic belief holds in the unconscious its opposite. So, you know, this, it, you know, when you have somebody who is maybe say in this case, we'll, we'll use some, I don't know, just to make it a little more concrete, say we have uh, somebody who is pro-life and somebody who is um, pro-choice, you know, they, and, and we'll, uh, to make it more extreme, they're both fanatics. They're both uh, in the streets with their signs and, you know, they have very strong, strong views. From what I gathered, Neumann would say, each of them for for how strong their conscious view is for for their cause in their unconscious they remain in equally strong doubt of that view 
So the person who is pro-choice has in their unconscious an equally strong doubt about that. And um, yeah. he doesn't make this connection, but I, I think this is why he's saying that people who are on one end of a, the extreme can like a flip a switch and be on the other end of the extreme. And I know, I think that's an interesting thing to think about. You know, a lot of times it's the staunchest atheists that become like the most hardcore born again Christians or vice versa, or, um, you know, people who are fanatical on, on one call it on one end of the extreme, you know, maybe they, uh, I don't know, have some kind of religious awakening and boom, they're on the other side. A characteristic of any religious person is, is, is them being zealous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I have to tell you that um, most atheists I have met in my life are the one of the most zealous individuals I've ever met. Mm. They, 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 they vehemently, they have the spirituality behind their atheism. Sure. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, um, it, at least most of the folks, there's rare instances. Um, um, that some atheists would be stoic, and you know, maybe they'll 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 they'll, they'll, they'll recognize the plausibility that there's something beyond um, materialism. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, um, yeah, I, I think young causes enantiodromia. You know, anytime you have an extreme position, you facilitate the the the, the, the realization of the opposite. You know, um, yeah, and it's and it's it's almost like a seesaw. You know, you put too much weight. On one side, the other side is going to flip. Unconsciously, you know, though, right? The the un- unconsciously, you know, and it usually comes up emotionally first, right? Mm. It, it can be quite emotional, but it can also come in the form of an of an addiction, you know. And you use the right word. Um, I think you use the word. Um, there's a, uh, one becomes fanatical about yeah. it. Yeah, and I and I and I gotta. Uh, I, 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 at this point, I'm going to say that we're all fanatical. Young calls this ego inflation. And when I read nihilistic reaction and pluralistic reaction, for me, those are all descriptions of what Young calls ego inflation. Young basically has different descriptions of ego inflation. You know, mm. and, and all that does, ego inflation, is, is, is um, it celebrates persona-centric, what he calls one-sidedness. We have this tendency to separate ourselves. To, to right. make psychic fragmentation from the objective psyche. Subsequently, we, we project, and according to Newman, projection leads to scapegoat psychology. Um, and that's why what I find this book to, to, to have utility. It, it allows mm-hmm. me to, to see sociologically how, what's happening um, psychically, how we tend to scape other folks. And then the new ethics is, according to Neumann, is the way that we need to move as a collective, Mm. you know? Well, maybe one of the things I I wanted to make sure we got to uh, was talking a little bit about individuation. Yeah. Uh, Because I think this is the path that Neumann thinks we should take in order to implement the new ethic and you know this book i mean one of my kind of personal critiques with it it's not it's not very it, it's more conceptual like you said earlier it's more um you know he's he's 
it's more of like a blueprint, but he doesn't really give a lot of, you know, actual hands-on, like, how do we actually implement this? How do we actually move through this? But I think one of the things that he hints at is, you know, he says this new ethic has to be implemented at the individual level. So that means each individual needs to uh, integrate their shadow and needs to, you know, go on this journey essentially by themselves. And, you know, he talks a little bit about individuation. Um, so I don't know, maybe we could just start with, with that. Like, what is, how do you think of individuation? Like it, like, what is that? Cause it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. And again, it's, it's probably something that, you know, Neumann maybe thought about a little bit differently than Jung and vice versa, but, um, it's interesting. Uh, um, yeah. um, you can argue that he, he sometimes he, he may have augmented or colored Young's idea, but I think Neumann's approach sustains Young's approach. And I think that's why Young embraced this material. He was, I think, probably the only one that endorsed Neumann's writings. And that's all you need is for the old man to endorse and fuck everybody else. Um, um, but that's why I think Neumann, you know, he was he, he was accepted by Young um, and he's considered probably his most brilliant student. Um, by many, and definitely by me. Though you could argue others are, um, but the process of individuation, and again, some people will, will argue differently. But I, I think it's safe to say the the process of individuation uh, is, is 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 probably the central element to hold analytical psychology together. Mm. Okay, so what is individuation? Just look at the word individuation, not to di- to divide. Mm. Okay, so in, in particularly, don't divide the ego from shadow. So individuation is is the is the is the process of mitigating, diminishing division, psychic division. Does that make sense? It's in the word individuation. You know, yeah. you know, we. Um, I think we modern folks we don't appreciate examining the roots of words the etymology of words mm. you know of, of ideas uh, and um and the reason i, I i'm I, i'm using this because i'm plagiarizing you know i went to a lecture once and th- this is how i was told and it made sense to me mm. you know um uh, so individuation is that process of of of, of minimizing our, our, our divisions our divisions mm. and that's what the old ethic does it divides right Psychically, particularly, it divides the psyche from consciousness to the unconscious, and then it, it engineers consciousness. You know, that's a whole different argument that Eric Fromm develops, um, and and Jung developed that as well in in, in other essays. Um, so the process of individuation is it is the imperative to integrate, to minimize this this division. And again, in particular, for the ego to begin to integrate, because that's where it starts, mm-hmm. for the ego to begin to individuate shadow. And and he gets particular. Norman does say, I'm surprised, I don't remember he mentioning it, but he does mention it, it may be in the, in the appendix, uh, but he talks about the inferior function. You know, and when, he, when you get into typology, um, you know, people who are into typology, you know, they, they, they recognize it's Jungian, but they dismiss the inferior function. You know, the inferior mm-hmm. function, resides in the shadow 
the superior function and the, and the auxiliary functions are all descriptions of ego. Mm, yeah. But in typology work, they, they don't consider inferior function. Norman, Norman mentions it and, and, and he recognizes that the ego needs to, needs to have a relationship with shadow if it's going to initiate, generate this process of individuation. And where it begins is by embracing the inferior function. That's where it starts. That's where shadow begins. A any good commission will start with the inferior function. The question is, what is your inferior function? Usually, you know, you can start as simple as, if I'm a thinker, my inferior function is my feeling, and vice versa. You know, th 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 that's a fundamental start. Because um, Norman does talk about types when it comes to, um, you know, depending on your type, um, um, you you your, your attraction towards a new ethic, it, it, it will be proportional. You know, mm -hmm. then he also talks about context, talking about body types. I get confused. He says too much yeah. many times. Uh, but he does talk about type a lot. You know, and then at the end, he talks about how the ego needs to integrate the shadow. And he, he, and he places emphasis that it needs to begin by encountering the inferior function. So the process of individuation is, a, is not a terminal process. It's an ongoing process. Um, once you start, I've started, and you keep practicing, it gets easier and easier. Um, but when I say easier and easier, I don't, make, I don't, I don't mean to, to suggest that it's easy. The process mm -hmm. of individuation is just like the new ethic. It's quite daunting because to, 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 be, to recognize one's shadow can lead to a psychosis for some folks. If, mm -hmm. you, don't if, you, know, if you don't have the preparation for it, I mean, imagine yourself you know, being a good Catholic. I was raised a Catholic, you know, and to say to yourself, you know, but maybe you could joke around with your friend, but to say to yourself, I want to stay with my wife and I want to cheat on her too. Mm. You know, it's hard. It's hard. Imagine saying that to your, to your, to your priest. Imagine telling your wife that, you know, you know, yeah. that, 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 that is what the process. And I'm just trying to use something that, well, that's funny, but how do you admit to yourself and to others that you are that which you don't accept? Your anti-values, your anti-values, are also descriptive of who you are. Right. Well, and, it, and again, like kind of we talked about in the last conversation, like it can be a huge blow to your ego and to your self-esteem. Again, like you've seen yourself as a, a good person your whole life, and then you kind of accept maybe some of these ugly, uglier characteristics. And one thing he said, uh, it actually wasn't Neumann. It was actually written in the foreword. Uh, Maybe, yeah, I want to actually read this passage because this resonated with me when he's talking about, um, he's talking about this, the, in the foreword, he said, perhaps even more difficult than acknowledging our wickedness, which at least has a certain glamour is recognizing our ordinariness. The banality of our foundation as mortal animals can be painfully deflating. So, you know, I thought about this, um, I don't know. I, to speak personally, I think for me, some of the, um, you know, kind of bruising of my ego has been realizing how like ordinary I am as I've gotten older. I think when I was younger, I had this kind of idea that I, you know, I, and, you know, obviously everybody has some things about them that are special and unique, but I had this kind of idea that I was, you know, this, standalone, 
you know, genius in a sense, or, or that I kind of possessed something that uh, was just completely rare. And, and I think as I've grown up, I've kind of realized my ordinariness. And that I think, at least personally, has been more of a blow to my ego than recognizing, you know, maybe my own selfishness or my own uh, destructive qualities. So I think it's really on an individual basis. Whereas you give the example with, you know, somebody who was born, uh, you know, super uh, a Christian and, and, you know, raised super conservatively for them, the, the biggest maybe blow to their ego or the hardest part of their shadow to integrate might be that, you know, realization of that they have, I don't know, impure thoughts or that they have this capacity for evil and destruction. But other people, like like the example I just gave with myself, I think my, my the harder part on my ego, the bigger blow to my ego has been the realization of like, oh yeah, like I'm not, uh, I don't possess you know Nietzsche's intelligence, like I'm not, I'm not that, um, you know, I kind of identify much more with like uh, Montaigne and seeing myself as. As being not average. the best drummer in Brooklyn, you thought you were. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But but you you make a fabulous point, brother. I mean, yeah, I think it is a big blow. I mean, you just said something cursory. You said something like, "Of course, we all have something special within us." I mean, you said that. You know, mm. you kind of said that in a cursory manner. Well, that's that illustrates the collective, but the anti-collective says no. None of us has anything special. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? I mean that that and. It seems to me that's what blows me away with that psychology, particularly analytical psychology. Mm. Those are one of the things that you can safely infer. We, we, none of us, it, no, it's not true. You know, we like to say it, right? Oh, yeah, of course, we're all special. You know, like, you know, children. I mean, I, I'm in, I, I work in the school system. Not all kids are, 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 are fabulous, they're very ordinary, you know, and, and I have to accept. I'm 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 very ordinary. I, I'm not as you know. I'm not special. Yeah, you know, I like to mm. think I'm the best at this, or, or, or I'm exceptional here and there. No, get over it. You know, and that can be, and that's what some folks call absurdity. There's an absurdity of people trying to say that they 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 they, they don't that they, they're radical. They don't accept the collective values. Mm. And they begin to become, you know, become radicals and accept the anti-values and then deny the values. That's an absurdity there. Right. That's an absurdity there. You're both. You're both. You are special and you're not special. Right. And that's the... And once you recognize that, then you give the possibility of the birth of the, of the new ethic. Then mm. you are on the road towards individuation. You're not this or that. You're both. You're special and you're not, you're extraordinary and you're not extraordinary. You know, uh, right. I hope that makes sense. Well, uh, yeah, it, it totally makes sense. And I think that was kind of the, the realization I came to. And I think about like snowflakes and, you know, people attack kind of the snowflake generation of, oh, everybody's unique. Like, oh, no, they're not. Every, you know, it's bullshit or whatever. But I think snowflakes is a good example in the sense that like each snowflake is unique in the sense that it is different from every other. 
but it is also not unique in that it is like every other snowflake made up as of snow and water and, and, you know, and has the same general form. So I think individuals, it's, it's similar in the sense, I, I do believe we are all special. We are all unique, but we are also all ordinary and all the same in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. So this is a good example, but remember snowflakes are unique in terms of their expressions, but right. in terms of their essence, there is no differentiation. Hmm. You know, there is no differentiation. You know, um, you, if you look at the, you know, the, 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 the chemical compounds, it's the same thing. There's no difference between, uh, you know, a, a glass of water and, 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 um, and, um, and, and clouds. They may be perceived differently in terms of form. Um, you know, you, you, we relate to them differently because perception, um, you know, is, 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 a, is, a, is a powerful, you know, um, variable. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of essence, there's no difference. However, I, um, I don't want to belittle ordinariness. There's something incredible about being ordinary. There's something incredible in recognizing um, the magic of one's essence. Essence, because ultimately, that which makes it the same is quite mystical. We don't understand what makes it the same. That's why we celebrate. Well, totally. Everything. Yeah. Well, we don't. And it's your ordinariness that allows you to connect with people, right? It's your it's your ordinariness that allows you to be like, oh yeah, that I experienced the same thing, or like, oh yeah, I feel just like that. And that all, you know, if you are if you are somebody like Nietzsche, like you're kind of live a kind of isolated, uh, kind of shitty life. I mean, you know, in in the sense that you are so far your removed. Shitty life. Well, <laughs> if, 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 if you operate from the collective values. Well, yeah. And, and if, and, you know, it, I mean, shitty life in the, in the sense that yeah. I think for Nietzsche, personal relationships were super difficult probably because he was, he was so, so different. And, you know, it's a, maybe the burden a lot of geniuses have to bear is that, you know, the things that make them unique are also the things that, uh, keep maybe keep them from being able to connect with people uh because there's just such a such a gap there um but all right so we got a little off on a tangent i wanted to bring it back to uh individuation one thing he does say is that this process starts uh in the middle of somebody's life and he doesn't give a number um but i think that's important to recognize as well in that you know we we're talking about when this process happens yeah. it seems it's already the the um stage two the old ethic you know that and this rule-based way of living and thinking has already been the dominating force in that person's life and then you know in yeah. midlife this process of individuation begins yeah. and um so yeah i just wanted to get that out there that this isn't something that like you know, a 13 year old is, uh, is undergoing possibly a 13 year old, but I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I would say that's, 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 that's I mean, it's plausible. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point that you bring up. Um, I, and that speaks to your earlier point regarding that the old ethic needs to occur. The, 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 the new ethic emerges from the old ethic, your mm. earlier point. Um, yeah, and that's very Jungian. Um, Jungian talks about it, and I think he cites that. Um, 
um, in the development of the personality. When Jung uses personality, he's talking about psyche, not about individual persona. Um, he's talking about this integration, the process of individuation. And Jung uses the term second half of life. Okay. Now, chronologically, when that happens, some people say 35, some say, you know, 28. You know, um, personally, mm. it was post 40 for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes I regress a lot. You know, the, the old ethic is so powerful. You know, we, even though you, I mean, I think I've experienced at an individual level, I think many, I think many folks at a subjective level, uh, at a personal level, I think many individuals have experienced individuation, but individuation has a progressive and a regressive element to it. Mm. You know, so you, you can, you can strive towards wholeness. You can, you can move, you can work on, on psychic maturity, but you you don't become immune to, to be, to, to, to kind of be, be um, uh, regressive. You, know, you, you can't go back to the old ethic. You can't get dualistic. You know, um, just because you're in the process of individuation does not mean that you will not reg- you, you will not repress shadow material anymore. Um, mm. So yeah, it usually happens in the second half of life. You know, um, and 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 you know, others call it different names uh, because the process of individuation does allow one to have an encounter with what's called transpersonal experiences. You know, um, some people call it non-ordinary states of consciousness. You know, other people call it altered states. Because um, um, that's what an individual does. It expands your consciousness. Right. Um, and that can happen through spontaneous episodes in one's life. They can be benign or they can be um, quite nefarious at times. Um, but, um, 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 and, that, and, and he talks about that later on. You know, like, like I mean, earlier when you brought up the, uh, uh, the pleuromatic reactions, they, they may be argued as something new, right? As this, as this, a, a non-ordinary state of consciousness, as something transpersonal. But um, ultimately, they 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 become dualistic again. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they deny that which was, you know, that which was accepted now is no longer accepted, you know, and, and vice versa. There's a denial. So the process of individuation does, um, it, it tends to appear to happen at a second half of life perhaps post 35. Um, and the hallmark is that um, there's an integration, you know, there's a coming together of that, which is ego and that, which is non-ego, you know, it, uh, and, and again, as you said, it happens second half of life. Sorry, I'm, I'm being redundant. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and one of the things I wanted to underscore was you, you were saying it's, you know, throughout this process it's about becoming more conscious and we can even trace this back to when we talk about these three stages the kind of primal unity stage one where the individual is completely unconscious and then we move into stage two this old ethic the personal responsibility when the the individual is only conscious of their persona or they're only conscious of their positive qualities and so yeah. Right. And then we move into this uh, second half of life where the person then, you know, starts to individuate and becomes conscious of their shadow and the totality of themselves. So, yeah, I, I think I think that's an important point is that it's it's moving from completely unconscious to, you know, essentially, I don't want to say fully. I don't know that we ever get fully conscious, but we're we're moving towards uh, more and more consciousness. 
Yeah, yeah. Young constantly says in his essays, making conscious the unconscious. Right, right. So, Which is uh, a big, big theme throughout this essay as well. A theme in, in this one as well. Yeah. Um. Well, cool, man. Uh, what I'm trying to do is, um, is, 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 um, is recognize that this is not just theoretical stuff. This yeah. is something that can be, can be executed. We can practice this. It's not going to be easy because it's going to challenge so many um, uh, assumptions. Mm. Excuse me, not assumptions, presumptions at the collective level and at the individual level. You know, um, and um, um, my intuition tells me we got to go in that this direction. Yeah, I find the new ethic um, needs to emerge, but it's it's, it's going to be scary. Um, and it seems to me that we are experiencing this transition. We are. Um, but it, it may lead to violence. Um, and I don't know about you, man, but it seems to me there's a lot of violence going on around today. You know, um, and maybe, 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 maybe Noemi was prophetic. <laughs> you know? You know? Yeah. It was not only describing, because this is really a response to what was happening in the 30s and 40s. In right. Europe, you know? Um, and, um, because um, he noticed a lot of the, the, the things that were holding the old ethic up as kind of breaking down and that, you know, he's saying like humans are starting to become aware of their unconscious. They're starting to become aware of how their biology affects them, how history affects them, how sociology affects them. And, right. you know, I, I think he's saying like the, you know, as, as Nietzsche says, like, you know, God is. God is dead. Like in in the West, at least, like we're we're starting to need a new ethic because the the old one is is no longer uh, it's no longer effective. Um, so yeah, I think he sees it also as being like a natural development, natural evolution. In that, like again, when we we're talking about earlier, like you see this stage, the stages of development in the individual throughout the individual's life moving through these kind of three stages i think he also you know again sees that as happening uh at the collective level and that yeah we're starting to maybe emerge into this this new ethic and maybe we're at the we're at the stage now maybe where it's kind of like the beginning of individuation where there's like it's uncomfortable there's a lot of ambiguity there's a lot of pain and confusion uh but yeah, maybe it's like a natural, a natural stage that uh, society needs to go through. The last thing I want to say regarding the process of individuation, um, and the reason I'll mention because I just saw my notes that you were speaking, yeah. um, was that um, um, I don't think he says it here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Young says it all the time, but particularly uh, in, in um, his essay, um, the relation between ego and the self, which Neumann cite a lot here. Okay. Um, and if you get a chance, read that essay. If, if, if you don't have it, let me know. I have a copy of this book. It works. It's for free. You know, you, you can read it on your own. You don't have to spend money on it. Um, but um, the process of individuation, Jung describes it as um, as a religious experience. Mm. Again, religio, and bringing and bring, and bring the past back together again. That's why I mentioned the idea of the ancestors. So the process of individuation is. Um, is, is remember it's, it's a what's called what what um Socrates, what um Socrates called a remembrance, 
mm-hmm. know, to remember. So um, you 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 put all these all, all these parts together, including the present with the past. So you begin um, again. We, we, we young call later on the archetypes. Um, these ancestral memories come together. They come together. So through the process of individuation, it's religious experience. It's spiritual experience. Um, and you begin to see this big picture. And, and it's a, it, you have these aha moments. Mm. You know? Now, how does that play out in each person's narrative? I don't know. You know um, we, we could talk about that. But, but I did want to underscore that the, that the process of individuation is a religious process. Young describes it. Uh, does Norman describe it as, as religious? Um, I, I want to say he mentioned, but I just don't remember. It. I think he does mention that as well. Yeah. yeah. And and if it is a religious process, then then by extrapolation, you can say that the the, the new ethic is the is, is the birth of a new religion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, that's now, a big, I, I, big idea. Yeah, yeah. And and, and again, idea. like we were talking about earlier, like how. It's and I don't, all about, I don't mean dogmatic. Yeah. I don't mean Well, but when you think about something like having a religious experience or, or a, um, you know, revelation, like that is a kind of epiphany or a, a certain expansion of consciousness. And again, like I think he sees the development of consciousness as moving from stages of being completely unconscious to, you know, somewhat conscious to uh more and more you know conscious as we as we develop so yeah i I mean framing it in terms of uh religious uh, religious experience i think makes sense in that regard as well um in terms of you know i was blind but now i see like i see i i I see that my my neighbor is not only a scumbag but he's also a good person Mm-hmm. And I see my neighbor is someone that, that has suffered just like I have suffered. I've seen that my neighbor is, is striving to be happy just like I'm striving to be happy. You know, um, and those are religious experiences. I don't know about you, but um, I, I didn't see that when I, I was speaking to my neighbor about the new Delhi. But mm-hmm. now that I'm speaking to you about it, I, I'm recognizing that there was something I had. I had the possibility to experience, to have something sacred occur, but I, I let it go. However, upon reflection, I am seeing that. And mm-hmm. that to me is religious, isn't that? You know, that's a lot better than, 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 than repeating some sort of prayer that means nothing to me. Um, but because I engage in reflection through this exercise that you and I are engaged in, I, I, I'm, I'm recognizing that I am, I am so trivial, I am mundane, and then I need to work on, uh, on actually being extraordinary how well i need to be conscious every moment mm. i should not abdicate my responsibility to the collective values mm. you know I, I need to be aware of it and, and participate in, in, in recognizing the 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 contradictions that are embedded in our collective values you know and um that can be scary um, who wants to contradict what is good absolutely you know um you know i think my mother's a good person um but i'm gonna have to admit maybe um she fucked around around my around with my dad didn't know maybe maybe there's a possibility she did not want me to have to be her child Mm. maybe she did something you know maybe she maybe she's got what is that called skeletons in her closet 
you know? Right. But I think the point maybe too, is that on the other side of those maybe hard pills to swallow is, is something better, you know, the, that uh, past the, you know, past that shit, (laughs) past, past the looking into the negative and seeing things as it is like getting past that, that there's, uh, there's something, there's something higher to achieve or there's something, uh, there's something that makes it, uh, infinitely worthwhile that endeavor. Um, it's definitely worthwhile. Well, cool, man. This was, this was awesome. Uh, I, yeah, I got, I got a lot out of this book. And like you said, it's something I probably will come back to in maybe a year or two and, and reread. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, but yeah, just chatting with chatting with you about it as well. Like I got, I got so much more out of it. Thank you so much for um, inviting me you know, to participate in, in, in this conversation. And yeah. thank you for, um, you know, um, accepting my, um, you know, when you asked me if I had any ideas and I, I, I don't know why, but this came up. It was a great pick. It was a great pick. Yeah. And, and, and thanks, man. Cause it's, it's, um, you know, having a relation with a book um, by yourself is, 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 is wonderful, but it's, it's, it's what I like about, um, these comments, type of conversation makes me realize I really don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Man, and, um, yeah. You know, I, I I pretend that I understand because, you know, my persona. You know, I I don't want to knock it down, but um, um, I, I realize that I need to I need to digest it much more, you know. Uh, but my intuition tells me um, there's something invaluable in it, um, and it's um these experiences just facilitate realizing that intuition, you know. So mm. thank you for um um you know, having this conversation with me. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah, it's why, why I do it. I get, I get so much more out of it and, you know, hopefully also our conversation will help other people get, get some, some value out of it as well. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Thanks for listening to Unpacking Ideas. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend or scroll down and write a review or give us a rating. I know that takes a little bit of effort, but it really helps the podcast grow. So thanks for doing that in advance. And if you would like to read along with us, visit unpackingideas.com, where I post links to the articles, essays, and books that we'll be discussing on future podcast episodes. And finally, if you would like to hear more from George or get in touch with him and you are in the New York City area, check out his meetup. He hosts a meetup on the ideas of Carl Jung and does all kinds of cool things about depth psychology, dream analysis, and the like. So yeah, definitely check George out. All right, guys, that'll do it for this week. I will see you next episode.